at a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions. We need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a mindful moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 216. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. And readers, I hope you'll consider making one of your 2020 reads my forthcoming book, Don't Overthink It. You can guess what the book is about. Overthinking is something we all do, even though we don't want to, even though it makes us miserable, because we don't know how to stop. This book is about the how. Don't Overthink It publishes on Tuesday, March 3rd, but today I'm reading you chapter 13 called Small Shifts Toward Simple Abundance. There's a reason I chose this chapter for you today, and it goes back to why I wrote the book in the first place. So when it came to approaching the topic of overthinking, and when I first began to conceive what this book would be like, I knew I wanted to talk about both avoiding the negative aspects of overthinking we're all so familiar with, worry, rumination, second guessing, and that I also wanted to talk about setting overthinking aside in order to bring more peace, joy, and love into our lives. Overthinkers too often think themselves out of life's simple pleasures, but I wanted to examine how to smartly think our way into them. These chapters are some of my favorite in the book, and today, for this preview, I chose a chapter from that section of the book to share with you. One of the reasons we're sharing this preview now is that as the publication date draws near, your pre-orders become incredibly important. Readers, I really did not understand this at all until I started writing books. Here's how it works. In today's publishing landscape, pre-orders are crucial to a book success. Your pre-orders send a message to retailers. They use them as a way of gauging interest in a particular title. So the more pre-orders, the more bookstores will choose to stock the book, and the more copies they'll put on their shelves. The more copies they order, the larger the print run. The larger the print run, the less risk of encountering one of those dreaded out-of-stock situations where readers have literally purchased all the available books and you have to wait for more to roll off the actual presses. This is seriously every author's nightmare. So all in all, pre-orders help get more copies of the book into more places, and that means more people will see and then buy the book, which means I get to keep writing them. Y'all, this is a really big deal. Of course, I would love for you to buy my book because you can't wait to read it and because you want to support books and reading, and hopefully the show. But my publisher and I have teamed up to create some valuable pre-order bonuses to sweeten the pot. That means anyone who buys the book before release date gets some special goodies for free. Let me tell you what they are. Bonus one, you get the companion Don't Overthink It course we created to complement the book. We filmed this in my home, in my library, actually. Maybe you saw me share a few behind-the-scenes peeks on Instagram. And this course is full of great strategies and stories and tips and practical applications you can put to work in your own life right away. 
The book may not come out till March, but pre-orderers will get this course as soon as mid-January, as soon as we release it. Bonus two, you get the free audiobook version of Don't Overthink It. This is your only opportunity to get two formats for the price of one. And for bonus three, you get a free ebook edition of my book, I'd Rather Be Reading. When you pre-order Don't Overthink It, you will also be the first to receive an invitation to join my launch team. This is going to be so much fun. And participants, in addition to all the other great insider stuff, they get to read Don't Overthink It early. I think Don't Overthink It is totally worth its cover price, but I hope those bonuses make buying it now irresistible. There are three ways to pre-order, so you can choose the one that works best for you. And before you reach for a pen, know that all this info is at overthinkbook.com. Option one, order from your favorite on or offline retailer like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, or your favorite or local indie. Option two, order a signed copy from my local independent bookseller, Carmichael's Bookstore. If you want a signed copy, this is how to get one. And finally, option three, order a deluxe Don't Overthink It bundle from Page One Books, which includes a copy of the book, plus a notepad, a mug, a book sleeve, and more fun bookish extras I worked with Brandy to create. All options are available and listed out nice and neat for you at overthinkbook.com. Readers, don't overthink it. You know which one is right for you, but no matter where you pre-order, save your receipt when you do. You'll need it to claim your bonuses. After you pre-order, go to overthinkbook.com to enter your information and claim your bonuses. But enough logistics, let's get to the book. Here comes chapter 13, Small Steps Towards Simple Abundance. And I chose it because I love this whole section, as I said, but also because this chapter holds the story that inspired the beautiful cover design. Readers, I'm going to blog about this shortly at modernmrsdarcy.com. I love this cover and I love what it captures about the story. I think it'll all make sense as soon as you listen. Let's get to it. Chapter 13, Small Shifts Towards Simple Abundance. I don't feel very much like Pooh today, said Pooh. There, there, said Piglet. I'll bring you tea and honey until you do. A.A. Milne. I walk into Trader Joe's, list in hand, and immediately encounter the fresh flower display. This is easily my favorite part of the store. Well, this in the cheese section. And I'm eager as always to see what's available. I survey the day's options. Tulips in a range of pastels, spray roses and longstem lilies, three different kinds of hydrangeas. Should I or shouldn't I? Of course I want to, but do I really need fresh flowers today? I debate my options, then finally add hydrangeas to my cart. But maybe I should have gotten tulips. I swap the hydrangeas for lavender tulips and choose some greenery to complete the arrangement. But do I really need it? I am clearly thinking about this too hard. No to the greenery. I can cut that from my own backyard. I put the greenery back. I circle the store, ticking off the items on my list, being careful not to crush the tulips. Do I really need the tulips? I get in line to check out, still looking at the tulips. Maybe I don't really need flowers. If I'm not sure, I should put them back. I take them back to their buckets, then get back in the checkout line. I pay, load my groceries into my car, then drive home. When I unpack my bags, I realize two things. I forgot the salad mix I really needed, even though it was right there on my list. And now that I'm home, surveying my clean but slightly bare countertops, I can see I chose poorly. I should have bought the flowers. 
Even though my groceries are purchased and put away, I'm still spinning my wheels about those flowers. This decision, and so many like it, is of little consequence. It's about a grocery run, a $5 purchase, a grace note for the kitchen counter. This one decision is hardly life-changing. But then again, life is made up of moments like these. I waste precious minutes debating the inconsequential, talking myself out of things I know will bring me joy, things it wouldn't hurt to say yes to, because though the cost is low, the pleasure is great. And that's not all. Instead of thinking about the task at hand, I was stuck in my unhelpful thought loop while my attention should have been elsewhere. Say, on the salad mix. This kind of overthinking is a lose-lose proposition. A lose-lose proposition. I wish I could tell you my Trader Joe's flower experience was a one-time thing, but that would be a lie. It's the kind of thing I used to do habitually and still catch myself doing from time to time. My inner critic, who isn't as vocal as she used to be, thank goodness, still tries to raise her voice and say, is this best? Is this wise? Are you sure you want to do this? This strict inner policing is something with which many people, especially women, continue to struggle. To overcome these kinds of thoughts, we need to evaluate why they're so easy to fall victim to. We know overthinking pulls our thoughts in unhelpful directions as we pursue threads of worry, remorse, or regret. But we may not realize that overthinking also prevents us from welcoming good things into our lives. We cut ourselves off from life's small pleasures, talking ourselves out of potentially good things and wasting a lot of mental energy in the process. We suspect we'll regret denying ourselves, yet we do it anyway. In one of her most popular newspaper columns, Irma Bombeck wrote that if she had her life to live over, she would have eaten popcorn in the good living room and have burnt the pink candle that was sculptured like a rose before it melted in storage. She wrote those words in 1979, yet the piece continues to circulate and still resonates with women. We see ourselves in those words because we too want to enjoy the good things in life while we have the chance. And yet so many of us don't. When we stop overthinking, we can get out of our own way and bring more joy, peace, and love into our lives. Let's take a look at some things you can do to invite good things into your life instead of overthinking your way out of them. Resolve to be kind to yourself. What was I trying to get out of those flowers anyway? I didn't need them. They were a grace note, not an essential. I was fully capable of getting by without them. Those flowers were nice because they were extra, yet that extra is something I often talk myself out of. What I tend to overlook is that buying flowers isn't a frivolous throwaway expenditure. They may not be strictly necessary per se, but they do make a big difference in how I think and feel. Once I get them home, it makes me happy to see them on the kitchen counter all week long. It's a little thing that has an outsized effect on my days, and it's so easy to do. Yet, I often deny myself these little things, giving in to the inner critic who questions my small indulgences, precisely because they are extra. Or I used to, until I learned to be kinder to myself and got a little more comfortable with the posture of abundance. When I say abundance, I don't mean splurging on luxury goods or spending extravagantly on a regular basis. I'm talking about the little things we enjoy, but don't necessarily need. Too many women confess to being experts at policing their own small treats, holding constant conversations with themselves. Should I do that? Is it really worth it? If we can't bring ourselves to tell our inner critic yes, and also to please leave us alone, we'll default to the status quo, which means we miss out on little bursts of happiness. Why do we do this to ourselves? 
When I blogged about this on Modern Mrs. Darcy, readers told me they too struggle with indulging in small treats. Some confess they had whole drawers full of good things, fine chocolate, French lotion, scented candles, that they'd been given but felt they shouldn't use until a special occasion. Whatever the reason, we postpone or altogether skip small treats that bring us joy. Sometimes we even feel guilty enjoying things we're required to do. I have a friend whose job mandates she spend time reading and researching, two things she delights in, but she once told me this makes her feel guilty. Aren't you supposed to be working? Her inner critic asks. Should you really be enjoying this? For goodness sake, she was doing her actual job and doing it well and still overthinking it. It doesn't have to be this way. We can learn to treat ourselves gently and with kindness. We can go from closely monitoring the efficiency of our every move to giving ourselves the grace to not be so darn efficient all the time, from having to continually justify our decisions to feeling released from needing to get everything perfect. We can give ourselves permission to enjoy something that exceeds the minimum we need to get by. We can appreciate the good things right in front of us without feeling guilty about them. We can trade a scarcity mentality for an attitude of abundance. There was nothing magical about my Trader Joe's bouquet. The point isn't the flowers, but what they represent. Sure, we could get by without life's small pleasures, and if we're operating under a scarcity mentality, we do exactly that. But with a posture of abundance, we feel empowered to say yes to this small kindness. These little decisions seem small, and in a way, they are. But the implications are large. One, we wouldn't mind bringing a little more simple joy into our lives. And two, If we can't trust ourselves to make the right decision about a $4 bouquet, it's no wonder we're slow to trust ourselves with the big stuff. With that in mind, what small things bring you joy? How can you enjoy them on a more regular basis? Identify your small treats. Iris Murdoch writes, One of the secrets of a happy life is continuous small treats, and if some of these can be inexpensive and quickly procured, so much the better. Murdoch wrote this as a bit of a joke, a line for one of her characters, yet don't we all love small treats? We can define a treat as something extra, something inessential, something that goes beyond the absolute minimum we require. Treats don't have to be expensive, but they should be highly individual and bring us joy, regardless of others' tastes and preferences. When I asked friends what small treats they enjoyed, the responses were varied. A lavender bath on a Tuesday night while somebody else puts the kids to bed. A square of good dark chocolate after dinner. A regular Saturday morning hike during the time they used to devote to chores. The anticipation of intriguing new books arriving in the mail on release day. As for me, after years of using cheap ones, I now indulge in good pens. Ones that cost a dollar more than the just getting by models. For the longest time, I debated whether spending the extra buck was worth it. I don't do that anymore because I'm no longer interested in the bare minimum, at least not when it comes to pens, which matter to me. Sure, I could do my writing with a 20 cent pen or worse, a free one from the bank. But if I'll enjoy the experience more by paying extra for a good one, I'll opt for the good one every time. Writing with a quality pen is a delight and paying a little more for a tool that will write for hours and hours is one of the cheapest delights I know. I have a friend who loves guacamole, and she told me how she used to habitually turn down the guacamole at her favorite taco spot because she didn't need it. But on her last visit, she was in an abundant frame of mind and paid the extra dollar for guac. She said it was so good, it made her wonder why she'd never ordered it before. We both knew the answer. It wasn't essential, so she defaulted to no. 
but she's not going to do that anymore because she's learning to make the good stuff a habit. Make the good stuff a habit. One of the most effective ways to bring good things into our lives is to make a habit of it. Earlier in this book, we discussed how we can put recurring decisions on autopilot, deciding once and enjoying the benefits indefinitely. We can act like clockwork for our own benefit without having to endlessly debate whether it's the right thing to do. This frees us to enjoy the thing, whatever it is, instead of torturing ourselves about whether we should or shouldn't or waiting for a special occasion that may never arrive. When we don't have these decisions settled in our minds in advance, we rely on winging it, making decisions based on how we feel in the moment. We may ask ourselves, how big of a deal can it be to decide about flowers once we're at the store? It may not sound hard, but then in the moment there in the store, we freeze. Without a clear philosophy or system to guide us, we have to continually make decisions and justify them to ourselves. I put the strategy into action and made a personal rule for myself, specifically about flowers. I will buy flowers every time I'm at Trader Joe's, unless the selection is truly tragic or my own peonies are blooming. Because of that inner maximizer I told you about, plus my innate frugal nature, this wasn't the most natural decision. That's why I chose to put the decision on autopilot. Otherwise, I'd wear myself out debating every time I went to the store. Now I just plop them into my cart, no decision required. It costs less than $5, although the daffodils I bought this morning were just $1.50. And it makes me really, really happy. Other people live out the strategy in ways that suit their predilections. When I was in college, I babysat regularly for a nearby family and was fascinated by the way the mom kept the kitchen in order. Tracy wasn't terribly domestic, as she put it, but she did love to cook and called her kitchen her happy place. When I would arrive at her home after my morning classes, the kids had usually just gone down for their naps and I'd walk in while she was tidying up her kitchen. She always finished by wiping down the island, then choosing a giant jar candle from her stash under the sink and lighting it. The flickering candle made the kitchen feel snug and welcoming, something I appreciated during the dreary Chicago winters. Once, I sat on a stool at the island, chatting with her as she went through her routine. I love those candles, I told her as she struck a match. I'm glad, she said, and then she told me she used to feel bad about lighting them. They were nice candles, and she used to think she should wait for a special occasion to burn them. I asked her what had changed. I got over it, she said. I decided I'd just light them anyway. I really like them, you know? They make me weirdly happy, considering how small a thing a candle is. So I decided I'd light them all the time. I'm glad Tracy was able to embrace an abundance mindset and overcome her impulse to save the candles for special occasions. Look for ways to add joy to your days. Simple abundance is a frame of mind, not something you can buy. That feeling of plenty doesn't even have to carry a price tag. It can be a timeout during the day to read a novel, or sit and relax on the porch with a cup of tea, or stop to notice your neighbor's flowers. What a gift it is to give ourselves permission to enjoy these little moments. One place I've learned to practice an abundance mindset is out on the road when I'm behind the wheel. To illustrate, here's a story. Once upon a time, I lived in the Chicago suburbs. Will and I thought long and hard about settling down in the Windy City after we got married. We didn't. The cost of living and the brutal Chicago winters nudged us south, but a crucial third factor in my pro-con list was Roosevelt Road. 
a wide strip mall lined artery through Chicago's Western suburbs that I navigated regularly and hated with the fire of a thousand suns. Or perhaps the fire of a thousand exhaust spewing engines. I resented every minute I spent on that road, even if it was the fastest way to reach my destination. Well, we ended up back in Louisville, where one particular road reminds me more and more of that dreaded Chicago thoroughfare with every passing year. For the locals, Shelbyville Road. Ugh, cringe. I drove that road almost daily for years, until one day, undone by the weight of the burgeoning cell phone stores, car dealerships, vast concrete parking lots, stoplights, and yet another Walgreens. I had a revelation. I could take the long way home. I stopped driving the soul-sucking road that day. It's been five years, and actually now at the time of recording this, it's more like six, six and a half. I haven't looked back. I used to overthink whether driving a little bit out of my way to find a more emotionally pleasant route was worth it. Not anymore. I decided once, and I live by that decision every time I get in the car. Unless my destination is actually on that horrible road, which would make traveling it essential, I don't drive on it. Time and gas are valuable resources, but so are my mental energy, my generally chipper attitude, and my patience with endless concrete landscapes. When time is short, I go the fast way, even if it's ugly. But if I have the three minutes to spare, I no longer feel bad about choosing the long way because traveling a short distance, I mean, sometimes just three blocks, out of my way to prioritize beauty over speed is a small change that makes me much happier. From Lose Lose to win-win. The point of these small shifts is peace and joy. Overthinking here is lose-lose, but we are doubly enriched if we can put the practice aside and stop thinking ourselves out of happiness. Readers, that's chapter 13 of Don't Overthink It. I can't wait for you to read the whole book, available now for pre-order wherever books are sold. Get all the details at overthinkbook.com. I hope you enjoyed today's special bonus episode. Head to the podcast site for more details on my book, Don't Overthink It. Make easier decisions, stop second guessing, and bring more joy to your life, including info and links for those great pre-order bonuses. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 216. To see all the info on my book, Don't Overthink It, to see all the pre-order links and bonuses in one place, and to claim your bonuses with your receipt in hand, visit overthinkbook.com. That's overthinkbook.com. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share about pre-ordering the book, what you're overthinking right now, or even better, what simple abundances you'd like to enjoy in 2020. You can find me on Instagram at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next? If you'd like to add Don't Overthink It to your good reads, marking it Want to Read to alert other readers know this book is on the way, I would love that. Find me there at modernmrsdarcy.com slash goodreads. Thanks to Christian Audio for their permission to read this excerpt today. The Don't Overthink It audiobook will be available at christianaudio.com, Audible, and wherever audiobooks are sold. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.